Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. Today's show, we're going to be talking with Cindy Perlin, who is a licensed clinical social worker, certified biofeedback practitioner, chronic pain survivor, and the author of The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments, The Best and Worst Strategies for Becoming Pain-Free. She lives and works in Albany, New York area, where she has been helping people improve their physical and emotional well-being for over 25 years. Her book website is www dot becoming painfree.com and she's the creator of an online alternative pain treatment directory that has everything pain patients need to feel better and you can find that directory at www.paintreatmentdirectory.com and you can find her on Facebook at the truth about chronic pain treatments and on Twitter at Cindy Perlin one and so on today's show we're going to be talking about the truth about chronic pain treatments we're going to be discussing that in the first half hour and in the second half hour we're going to be talking about the alternative pain treatment directory and for our listeners out there feel free to dial in at 1-888-463-6748 or 1-888-GO-FOR-IT to join us on the air welcome Cindy how are you today Oh, I'm good. Thank you for having me on your show. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I read a little of your book about the truth about chronic pain treatments, and I found that to be a very interesting topic because we all want to know the truth about, you know, chronic pain, let alone the treatments. And I also read your story. I know a little bit about it that you became motivated to learn about effective chronic pain treatments. Uh, I do believe it was after you developed a severe disabling back pain when you were about 25 years of age. Mm-hmm. And the doctors you consulted with were unable to find the cause of your pain, and they prescribed drugs which didn't help and were potentially dangerous. Right. So how? So I know that that was your story, and so... Uh, I would like to lead us in at that point in time uh, about your journey. Okay. Well, I was 25, 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what happened was I decided to start running to get in better shape, and I developed back pain um, that got worse as I kept running. So I went to a doctor who told me to stop running typical thing that doctors do, and um, I did, but then everything that I did made the pain worse. The doctor gave me a sheet with back exercises, and I hurt my back more doing the exercises, and um, I went to a yoga class to try to help, and that really did me in because I had a bad yoga teacher who wasn't giving good instructions about listening to your body and not, you know, not going beyond your limits. So um, I was in graduate school at the time for social work, and I was in so much pain 24-7 that I just couldn't continue, and I dropped out. And for the next three and a half years, I was barely able to function. It was even difficult just to sit to eat, and um, nobody seemed to be able to help me, Uh, definitely none of the doctors. 
They gave me early versions of the narcotics that are getting people in so much uh, trouble today. They gave me muscle relaxants that made me into a zombie. And I was feeling pretty hopeless. And um, one osteopath I went to said, just stay in bed till you feel better and just come and see me. And I was so depressed. I was having suicidal thoughts. And in the middle of that, a friend of mine said that I should read a book uh, that had just come out that was about the mind-body connection, someone who healed himself through laughter therapy. And they mentioned biofeedback in the book, and I found a psychologist who did biofeedback. And I went for a couple of sessions, and it, it turned my life around. Within a day, I felt 50% better. And that was because I was told that I could have some control over the situation. I felt so out of control, like my body was attacking me. And I started to get some control over it with biofeedback. Um, and biofeedback measures your physiology and tells you what's going on. And then you get coaching and how to change it. So mainly it was relaxation training. And that just really helped so much. And with that and a supervised exercise program at the Y, um, I was able to get back to life and back to work. And, um, you know, I was feeling pretty good till I started having some foot problems. The foot problems I developed came after I had uh, surgery for a bone spur in my foot. And none of the, none of the uh, things that I'd learned that helped my back helped my foot. So I had to look around for other things. And the mind-body stuff didn't work because the problem was structural, and it took me 14 years to find an effective treatment. And that was a very deep tissue uh, type of massage work called rolfing. So I learned on my journey that, you know, doctors don't really know much about pain and that the answer doesn't lie in drugs and that there are things out there that can help and you just have to find them. That's so true. And, you know, Cindy, I am also a chronic pain warrior myself, so I can relate to everything that you have just shared. Uh, I personally um, have found that doctors are truly not educated enough about chronic pain. The pharmaceutical industry does a lot in educating them about opioids and all these other, you know, pharmacological uh, in, uh, drugs that they prescribe. But in terms of from a patient perspective, what that's like, our experiences, I don't personally feel they really understand it unless they themselves have been or experienced chronic pain. You know, I mentioned in my book that there's been some research about how much education doctors get in medical school about pain, and it averages less than two hours. Oh, my goodness, so, less than two hours. Right, and that's for any aspect, diagnosing it, um, treating it with any method, they get less than two hours. And another survey uh, said that 66% of doctors at academic medical centers said they didn't feel competent to treat pain. And the survey also questioned the 34% who said that they did because they said there was no connection between competence and belief that they were competent to treat it. So that's, that's a pretty dismal picture for doctors. And as you said, the pharmaceuticals come in and they educate doctors. And I would put education in quotes. Yes. 
you know, they're really just salesmen for the drugs. Absolutely. And they they minimize, if not lie, about the dangers and, you know, um, exaggerate the benefits. And that's, you know, more and more has been coming out about how doctors were lied to purposely. The, the um, pharmaceutical companies knew that the opioids were highly addictive, but they lied about it. They told doctors that addiction was extremely rare and that they could feel free to basically prescribe as much opioids as they wanted to and they weren't putting their patients in any danger. Now we're at a point where officially over 200,000 Americans have died from opioid overdoses and millions more have gone through the horrors of addiction and are probably in the pipeline to overdose. So it's it's a pretty dismal picture. It is, and I'm going to share a brief story with you. So I have uh, chronic pain syndrome, fibromyalgia, and um, I would say 18 months ago, uh, I saw a chronic pain specialist. And the first order of business was she recommended opioids. And I said, no, that's not what I want in my body. I said, I've, I've never, you know, had a problem with uh, addiction, and I'm afraid of those. And her, the first thing she said to me was that, Nisi, you need to learn how to embrace the use of opioids. And I thought that that's a slap in the face because doctors, you know, they said, I'm not going to say all because there are many that's trying to do the, the wrong thing. So I don't want to put them all, you know, in the same box. I want to be respectful. But at the same time, there are many physicians out there. You present yourself to their office. They have you to sign the the agreement that while you're on these, you're not going to also combine them or mix them with illicit drugs on the street. And then they draw your, your blood and they check and, you know, render other tests to see if you are abusing their narcotic policy. I've met so many women, including men, who have been all of these strong painkillers, Cindy. And once they started getting addicted, the doctor then wanted to wash their hands of them. And yeah. I said to, you know, a few of them, I said, wow, you know, that's, that's awful because now when you cut them off, they're going to turn to the, the the alleys, the highways, byways, wherever they need to go to get that fix. Yeah. Yeah, it's a terrible thing that doctors are doing. And I think that, you know, doctors kind of fall into two categories right now, the ones who are still promoting them, like the doctors that you saw, and then the doctors who are so afraid of prosecution uh, for prescribing them and having patients come to harm that they're either refusing to treat patients at all, um, they're dropping them like hotcakes, or they're abruptly cutting their drugs down. And people are being harmed because whether or not you're addicted, your body becomes dependent on the drugs. It changes your physiology. Your body starts producing more natural painkillers. And um, and then, you know, you have a real problem. If you stop, you go through withdrawal. That's so I true. I did do some research on what people should do if their doctors cut them off abruptly. And one of the things that I found out is, you know, everyone knows withdrawal is pretty horrible, uh, but it's time-limited. And there are things you could do to minimize the effects and just get through it. I don't think a lot of people realize that the horror of withdrawal is going to end 
And that's why they take to the streets and try to find anything that they can. So what are some of the things you have found that they can do? Well, it's like treating the flu. You know, you have muscle aches and pains and and um, you have um, respiratory symptoms and, and um, you just have to do symptom relief. You have to drink lots of fluids. Uh, you have to take, um, you know, things like ibuprofen. And you just have to wait it out like a bad bout of the flu. And, you know, I consulted a bunch of experts and they said, you're not going to die of it. It may feel like you're going to die of it, but you're not. And that probably, I would imagine, uh, I've, I've never been in, in, in those shoes, but I'm sure for many people that find themselves there, it's probably the pain associated with the withdrawal that makes them feel like, you know, they're surely going to die. Well, yeah, and I think one of the things is that people worry that when they stop the drugs that their pain levels are what they're going to experience forever without the drugs. But they're actually having rebound pain. And um, and it's worse than it's going to be when they get off the drugs. In fact, many people who uh, withdraw from opioids actually find that they feel better without them. And you for know, many people, they- that's the first time in many years that they've been without opioids, you know, and, and experienced right. that sensation. Right. And I just want to mention two other things that, that people can do um, that helps with withdrawal. And one of them is marijuana. Um, marijuana actually uh, eases withdrawal. And for people who can qualify for medical marijuana, I strongly urge them to do it if um if you're in a legal state and you have chronic pain, uh, you can usually get a medical marijuana certification and, you know, get stuff that's regulated and that you know is pure, um, and that can be very, very helpful. The other thing that uh, people can use is an herb that's very um, little known called Kratom, K-R-A-T-O-M. And it's a Southeast Asian herb. You can get it on the Internet. And that also seems to help with withdrawal. Now, are there some reputable sources that you know out there about Kratom? I'm only asking because there's a lot of things on the Internet. Uh, Some of these things, you know, may not be the real deal in terms of what's really in the product. Right. And that is an issue. Uh, There's a group called the American Kratom Association, and you can find them online. And I believe that they keep a list of uh, reputable providers. Okay, that's that's good to know. And so how do they use the Kratom? Well, you uh, you take it orally, and I have to tell you, it tastes pretty awful. I tried some. <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably, you know, it's probably better than having withdrawal or addiction. And I've talked to people who were really diehard um opioid addicts. I talked to one guy who, um, you know, had been in and out of detox and rehab many times. He had overdosed and been revived several times. He had seen many of his friends die and he still couldn't stop the opioids. And he heard about Kratom and he started taking it and was able to immediately stop using opioids. Now, for someone that's been on opioids for a long time, if they go the route of medicinal marijuana, is that going to be enough for them when they're so used to be at a certain level? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, um, most of what I'm finding is that people 
Uh, the preferred thing is to gradually reduce the opioids while you um, while you add the marijuana. Not everybody can do that because, as we were saying, um, some of the doctors are abruptly cutting people off. But um, marijuana is actually a more effective pain reliever than uh, than opioids. The pharmaceutical companies don't want people to know about it, but. I just read some statistics that said the average degree of pain relief with opioids is about 39%, where with uh, marijuana, it's in the 60 to 80% pain relief category, and some people, you know, it completely relieves their pain. In fact, um, there are people, there are experts in fibromyalgia who say that fibromyalgia and probably uh, chronic migraine is a uh, cannabinoid deficiency. Our bodies naturally make cannabinoids for pain relief and reducing inflammation, calming down from stress. And if we're deficient in those cannabinoids, medical marijuana or any kind of marijuana has cannabinoids that could take their place. I see. I have met a lot of uh, fibromyalgia patients who do use uh, cannabis, and and many of them, of course, don't like the 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 stench the smell of marijuana so what they have shared with me that they use is the um, the 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 marijuana there's lotion that has cannabis in it mm-hmm. um, there are some treats you know and and other edibles yes other edibles that they have found that work very well for them there's also a CBD oil CBD is an extract of marijuana and also of hemp and that's one of the most active ingredients when it comes to pain relief that's in marijuana. And you can actually, even if you're not in a state where marijuana is uh, legal for medical use, you can get um, CBD derived from the, pe- the hemp plant, and that can be very effective, and you can find that online. That's true. There's a lot of sources out there, and I have even shared with people that may not live in the state where it's legalized. Um, many of them have traveled to Colorado in other states where it is legalized uh, mm-hmm. to buy it. But I've shared with them you have to be very careful with that because if you cross state lines, you know, into a state where it's not legalized, please use caution and perhaps they definitely need to consider the Kratom or the CBD oil that you mentioned because there are online resources for that. Right, and it's very... Um unknown, you know, how much the legal system at this point in time is going to prosecute patients, say, who are caught with, you know, illegal marijuana and they're using it for medical use because the the tide, except for our current attorney general, uh, our U.S. attorney (laughs) general, Jeff Sessions, except for him, you know, the tide is really turning. Uh, The vast majority of Americans not only believe medical marijuana should be legal and available, uh, the majority of Americans now believe that recreational marijuana should be legal. So, um, you know, it's unknown. I think that if you're in certain states, it's still very legally risky, like Texas and Alabama, um, you know, that have harsh penalties for uh, marijuana possession. But they're, you know... Most places, I think it's, you know, it's looked the other way. In New York State, we have medical marijuana. That's where I am. And um, we also have uh, what's called decriminalization. 
which is possession of less than an ounce of marijuana, is the equivalent of a traffic ticket. It's a violation, and you pay a fine. You don't go to jail for it. Okay. I know that we have so many people that's currently locked up and incarcerated right. due to small amounts of marijuana, mm-hmm. and their lives have just been shattered. Right. It's uh, so unjust yes. that has happened. And, you know, while the uh, it's uh, just come out that the pharmaceutical companies <clears throat> have actually knowingly been providing pill mills with opioids that they know they're supplying to non-medical patients. And they, you know, they go free. And yet, you know, some kid on the street who's, you know, has marijuana on their person for personal use is sometimes ending up in prison for decades. That's so true, whereas these other folks are given a pass. And that's Definitely not, you know, there's no justice there. No. None whatsoever. Now, I'm in the state of Illinois, and there are several dispensaries here. Oh, that's good. Uh, Yes, you know, uh, in in different um, communities. But for some people, you know, there's still for them a a stigma uh, attached to it. and uh, But they want help, and they're getting the help that they need. Now, I also did some research recently, and I also saw in the news where they were talking about a lot of the veterans that um, marijuana would be a far better treatment for them than all of the opioids and the other drugs that the, uh, the current VA system is supplying them with. Mm-hmm. But um, again, as you mentioned, our current attorney general doesn't believe in the use of Marijuana, no, does he feel this should be legalized? But when I look at our veterans, I remember uh, my brother, he served in um, the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And I remember how he was injured in the war. And then when he was discharged, the pain that he suffered um, and just everything that goes along with that and having to go to the VA for medical care and treatment and how they would give him and all the other vets all of these big old containers, you know, of all of these opioids and other drugs. And it wasn't helping them. It was just numbing what was there. Right. One thing that drugs um, don't do, and this is somewhat true of marijuana um, for, for the majority of people who use it, is it doesn't get at the underlying cause of the problem. True. You know, um, it's a symptom management thing, except in the situation I was talking about with, with medical marijuana where you're, you're treating a cannabinoid deficiency. But there's usually, you know, some kind of underlying problem that is causing the pain that's not being addressed by the drugs. And if all you're doing is numbing the person, they're going to end up getting worse and worse because the underlying cause is still there and continuing to create more problems. That's so true, and I know that you had um, mentioned that your chronic foot pain taught you that pain can have many different causes and that you need to determine the cause in order to find the right treatment because, you know, there is physical pain, there is uh, as well as emotional pain. Right, right. And, you know, with my back, it did turn out to be a a situation of I was under a lot of stress, and that um, kept the pain persisting, 
and I really needed to. And then when I was in so much pain, and it was associated with so many losses, like the loss of work and career, um, that caused a lot of stress that made the pain worse. And I had to learn to relax and calm down, and um, that really, really helped the pain. With my foot, what had happened was that I lost range of motion in my foot after the surgery because it was surgery on the big toe joint, and I didn't want to bend that joint while I was healing. So I had my foot in a, you know, in a not optimum position for many weeks, and I got kind of frozen there. And for 14 years, none of the doctors could figure that out. Didn't it make you wonder as to why they couldn't figure it out after 14 years? Because, you know, that will lead also to depression when you know that you have this chronic pain, you have no relief, but yet they can't figure out anything. Right. It's very, very frustrating. And, you know, 14 years is a long time, and I went through periods where I actively looked for solutions and didn't find any and then, you know, just gave up trying for a while and then, you know, went back at it. And, um, you know, I was um, when I was getting back to, um, I decided to go into private practice. I had been working in an administrative job for the state, and the social worker who was supervising me in my work, um, she suggested this body work called Rolfing. And within two sessions, I felt like I had a new foot after 14 years because this type of therapy gets very deep into the tissues and stretches everything out and normalizes the balance. And that's what I needed. And was the Rolfing, um, is that spell R-O-L-F-I-N-G? How, how was that spelled? Yeah, R-O-L-F-I-N-G. It's named after its uh, creator, Ida Rolf, and um, it's also called structural integration. And there are thousands of providers around uh, the United States. There's a Rolf Institute people can look up online and find providers. And um, it's an amazing treatment. So it's important to figure out what's going on, and sometimes it's a combination of things. You know, you can have a structural problem with your back that has to do with muscle weakness or imbalances or or, um, loss of range of motion or something like that, but then your emotional state can also be making things worse, and you need to come at it from both angles. And then, you know, you may need to um, adjust your nutrition because what you're eating has a tremendous impact on inflammation and uh, whether your body has the raw materials to heal. So, you know, you need to look at it on many levels. You need to move because when you're in pain, it's usually muscular, and not moving makes muscle pain worse. Absolutely. So, when you don't move, uh, you it just feels like you're locked up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's many pain conditions where not using your body will make your pain worse. A lot of people are um, afraid to move. There's actually a medical term for it, kinesiophobia, as fear of movement, and they're afraid to move because they have a misguided idea of what's causing the pain, and they're afraid that if they move, they'll injure themselves more. And that's generally not true in chronic pain. In chronic pain, the tissues have healed, but the pain persists. And, you know, you need to 
get your um, structure, your physical structure back to a normal, healthy place. Now, when you mentioned the the raw thing, is that similar to the myofascial release treatment or is it a little bit Um, different? It's um, similar in some ways, um, but it goes deeper. It's actually, you know, it's not, it's sometimes not very pleasant to get either of those treatments because um, in the process of treatment, there's um, a a lot of pressure being put on the tissues, but... um, you know, generally you get release of the muscle contraction and stretching out of the tissues that ends up easing your pain quite a bit. Uh, but Rolfing goes deeper. Rolfing goes into what's called the fascia, which is the tissue that underlies the, the muscles and ligaments and tendons. So it's, uh, it's generally deeper work than any type of massage. And myofascial release is one of the types of massage. Now, what is your pain um, like today, and do you still use uh, Rolfing, or are there some other um, non-pharmacological approaches that you utilize for healing? Well, um, I get a Rolfing session maybe about once a month these days. Sometimes it's longer between them because I find that I tend to be a muscle reactor. When stress comes along, I tend to tense my muscles. And um, I find that once a month or once every two months, it's good to have a session and, and get any, you know, tension, chronic tension I've developed worked out. Um, I also continue to use relaxation and biofeedback. And um, I recently, uh, a couple of years ago, developed a new problem uh, that defied medical intervention, which is something called uh, plantar fibromatosis. It's a little bit like plantar fasciitis in that okay. um, when you uh, try to um, walk, your your arch hurts. Except the um, there are in the case of plantar fibromatosis, there's actually um, little growths in the arch of your foot that um, are painful and um, inhibit the foot's ability to stretch. And um, they can do surgery on those um, those growths, but they and they're benign, uh, but they tend to come back. And who wants surgery on the bottom of your foot? You That's know, even more pain. Yes. Right, right. You know, not likely to ease the problem. But while I was researching my book, I found out about this treatment I'd never heard of before, which is called low-level laser therapy, and it uses light just shining light on the tissue um, that's in the red and near-infrared spectrum with um, either a laser or an LED device, and it promotes tissue healing and it decreases inflammation. And I was so impressed with what I was reading that I ran out and got one of these devices, and they're very expensive. Generally, you know, they're not designed for consumer use because they're very expensive. But um, I was so impressed with it, I just had to have one, so I financed it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I also used it on my cat, who had osteoarthritis in her hip. And we both did very well, and uh, that cured the problem for me. I have to do it every once in a while again, because it's kind of a progressive condition. I've been to some of the um, wellness expos, and mm-hmm. that's when I first became introduced to some of the light therapies that's on the market. 
Now, the device that you're using, is it similar to the Beamer light treatment? Uh, I know there are several others. Beamer is the only one that's that's coming to mind. And it sounds like yours may be far more advanced than the Beamer. Yeah, I don't, I'm not familiar with the Beamer. There are uh, many different companies now that make these devices. They've actually been on the market for 40 years. There's been um, over 400 uh, randomized controlled human studies saying that they work, um, but they're still not um, insurance reimbursable. Insurers will say they're experimental. So, um, you know, there's a lot of those devices that have to do with that particular light, light frequency. Um, I'm not sure what, I mean, there are light stimulation devices that affect the brain, um, you know, and affect brain activity. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different things that people are coming out with. And a lot of them work. Okay. Um, I feel like I have so many tools right now um, to use that when I do have a pain that I develop, it's like I have so many choices, and none of them involve pharmaceuticals or even uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs that you could get over the counter. Um, there's, you know, massage tools you can use at home. Uh, there's home, you know, biofeedback devices. There's Epsom salt baths, which, um, you know, are very inexpensive. And you, um, Epsom salts contain magnesium, which is a natural muscle relaxant. And, um, you know, just taking an Epsom salt bath when you hurt all over can be very helpful. Very much so. I've used one product. It had um, some type of mustard. It was like a mustard bath. Mm-hmm. Um, and that did wonders, too. And for people listening, I'm not speaking of the, the the mustard that you find, you know, in your pantry that you're using, you know, for cooking. Um, it, it, it worked wonders. So all of this, you have your own at your disposal, your own pain treatment toolkit. So yeah. is that what led you to create the pain treatment directory? Yes. And, you know, this directory is very new. It's only been up a few weeks. It's paintreatmentdirectory.com, and it's a place where people in pain can go to find all sorts of resources that can help them uh, to learn about different treatments. So it has articles, inspirational healing stories, uh, providers who offer alternative pain treatments, uh, pain relief products that you can purchase. Um, I'm still adding providers and content and products to it because it is new. But there's still a lot of stuff on there already um, that people can um, learn from and providers to contact. And some of the providers offer uh, webinars or phone coaching so you can find them and, and utilize their services from anywhere. I've actually visited the um, website for the Alternative Pain Treatment Directory. And I encourage everyone to def- definitely check it out is at www.paintreatmentdirectory.com. And on there, um, you can find providers, you can find products, which was the part that I really enjoyed. There was definitely healing stories. There's articles. Now, tell me, uh, how does one as a provider get to be on the list? What type of providers? And two, tell us about the advocacy portion of it. Oh, Okay. So uh, to be the provider, there's a, um, I'm looking for providers who provide alternative pain treatments. I did get contacted by 
a physician who said, I'm very good at prescribing opioids. Can I be on your directory? <laughs> and I said, absolutely not. It's not It's not for providers who do conventional treatments, either surgery or or pharmaceutical prescriptions. It's for providers who are, if you're, if you're a physician, you can be an integrative physician that uses diet and, um, and herbal treatments and things like that to help people. You can be um, a massage therapist, an acupuncturist, a chiropractor, a health coach, um, any kind of uh, specialty, a, a pain psychologist, or any kind of therapist who helps people with chronic pain uh, through mind-body approaches. Uh, and there's a, there's a small listing fee to be on the directory. Um, so there's if people go to the For Providers tab, uh, they can click on Add a Listing and learn more about that. Um, I forget your second question. <laughs> oh, there's a, on the website, oh, the yes, there's a thing. section for advocacy, yes. Oh, okay. So I'm hoping that the website will also become a hub for pain patients and alternative treatment providers to advocate for uh, better um, access to alternative pain treatments. Right now, um, most of those treatments are not covered by insurance. Insurers will cover as many pharmaceutical drugs as, as you want, uh, but they won't cover things like massage and acupuncture and nutritional interventions. So um, there's also so there's a petition in the advocacy page. Uh, it's a change.org petition uh, to um, have legislation that would require insurers to pay for alternative pain treatments. And there's also a second petition on there now that has to do with making medical marijuana legal nationwide. And um, if people have other uh, kinds of petitions or advocacy efforts that they uh, would like to have us support, they can email me through the directory, and um, I'll work with them on that. I'm going to support your your initiative. Um, uh, actually, I'm going to place a link to your directory on my website because I feel right. that it is uh, an awesome, valuable resource. I mean, for for our audience, think about this. You're you're looking for a provider. You've already been the route of opioids or two. You've heard some horror stories and you've already decided you don't want to go down that road. Right. So now you're at the point where you're saying, OK, I need to find a provider that can help me manage chronic pain holistically without the use of opioids. And that's what I love about um Cindy, your directory, because it, you can find providers. Not only can you find providers, you can find products. I can't tell you how many requests I receive from my website where people have reached out to me, my not-for-profit, and they've said, Cindy Nisi, we don't want opioids. We're looking for alternatives. There are none out there. And now I'll be able to go back to them and add your directory to our list of other resources, you know, that people can utilize to get the help that they need. Well, great. And I just want to say that the directory is very new, and we're adding new stuff every day, new providers and products and, and articles. So if you don't see what you need right away, um, check back in a little while because uh, I'm adding more. 
And as I said, if you can't find a local provider in the directory, if you search the webinars and phone consults uh, category, you'll find that there's quite a few people that can help you over the phone. And everyone, when you uh, visit the Pain-Free Zone page, you will also see a link uh, to Cindy's directory, Pain Treatment Directory. Um, Just go to her episode page, and on that episode page, you will see the URL, you will see the link to that Pain Treatment Directory. It will be readily accessible um, for you. So that's something we definitely need to share that people need to know about. And I'm going to join you on the advocacy piece, uh, Cindy. Advocacy is my passion. I got in, I got involved with advocacy many years ago when my father died of lung cancer. Wow. Um, and that was going back to the 80s. And that's when I got, you know, involved with advocacy because I had to advocate for my father. So mm-hmm. uh, advocacy, mm-hmm. you know, the change.org petitions, um, I will definitely be sharing that information on my social media pages because we do need more people to support that. And if you think about our healthcare system, we don't, you know, we don't have a health care system. We have a sick care system. Right. The insurance companies would save far more money if they would allow people to get massages, these different types of um, therapies. But I know one of the main reasons why they won't, that's because of the pharmaceutical industry. Right. You know, it just, uh, it's been coming out lately that, Key players in the pharmaceutical industry have been bribing doctors to prescribe more opioids. And somebody in one of the companies, I forget which one, he's a billionaire, he's made billions on this, he just got arrested. And um, if you go to my uh, Facebook page, The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments, you'll see a link to the story about that. Um, I... I'm sure, even though I don't have direct evidence myself, that something similar has been going on with the insurance companies where they profit by getting their subscribers to use more opioids and other pharmaceuticals. Um, There's some kind of a kickback arrangement or something going because otherwise it makes no sense. You know, most people don't know this, but um, chiropractors, physical therapists, psychopaths, therapists who provide alternative pain treatments who are in insurance networks have not had raises for about 40 years. Wow, that's why a lot of them have a difficulty staying in business. Right. We're losing providers. Fewer people are going into the fields. Mental health is in crisis. Almost all mental health providers all around the country are about to retire. They're not being replaced by newer people because it's very hard to make a living at it. And uh, people need these services. They're critical. Um, They're not just critical for mental health. They're critical for pain management. And, you know, I talk about that on my uh, website. It's um, a huge percentage of the population, at least one-third of the population, has no access to mental health care because in their region there is less than one treatment provider per 10,000 people in terms of any mental health specialty. And that's another vitally important benefit. People need to have access to that. I mean, there are, you know, when you mention stress, that's, we all can relate to that, but stress can lead to so many different things. 
Mm-hmm. And I've met so many people who do not believe that stress can lead to depression, that it can increase your your, your chronic pain. And I, I know that from had suffering with depression, you know, a few years back when I was first diagnosed with fibromyalgia, that all this occurs. And if you do not have, number one, the financial resources, you don't have the insurance, then you cannot see these different types of practitioners. Right. And it's it, and it so sad because where are people going to go? Right. I mean, I do think there's a lot that people can do for themselves and do inexpensively, but there's also many people who need the hands-on treatment, the emotional support, um, the the education that you can only get from a very knowledgeable provider, and insurance is standing in the way. When opioids came on the market, um, well, it actually, opioids have been around for a really long time, but in 1996, Purdue Pharmaceuticals uh, decided to um, aggressively market their OxyContin uh, to doctors as great for chronic pain, no risk of addiction, and that's when um, the tide really turned. And as a result of that, insurance companies at the same time decided they weren't paying for other treatments. The best treatment for somebody who is in uh, severe chronic pain is an interdisciplinary approach through an interdisciplinary pain clinic. And in 1996, there are over a 1,000 of them in the United States, and insurance companies stopped paying for them. Now there's only about 50. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've between the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies, they have devastated uh, pain patients and pain patient care. They have, and the physicians, many of them have benefited from partnering with the pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of all the kickbacks. I know that in the area of medical education, I used to work in that, that field a number of years ago, and um, Senator Grashley got involved with that, and then I believe it was the Sunshine Act uh, that was developed where there had to be transparency. So, you know, when it comes down to grants, for example, uh, you need to know who's behind sponsoring some of these these events. Because if you're going to, let's say, a, a pain management event or, or, or a conference or any other type of event, who are they sponsors? Because right. that's going to tell you a lot about what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I was recently at a chronic pain conference that was mostly about alternative care, but they did have... One guy who's actually from my neighborhood, um, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> who um, who had a workshop on the evidence for the effectiveness of opioids for long time long term chronic pain. So I went to that, and basically all he said was, "Oh, there are other drugs, and they're not so good either." Mm. So I came home and I looked him up, and last year he got $387,000 from the pharmaceutical company. Yes, and that falls into line with what I just said. You need to check him out to see, you know, where that money um, is coming from. Now, for our My Not For Profit, the events that we put on to help people manage chronic pain and fibromyalgia, we do not accept any funding whatsoever uh, from funding. Our our focus is holistic alternative right. treatments 
and uh, many uh, some of the companies have reached out to us. But our philosophy is no, we're not about opioids. You know, many people use them. Good for you. I don't, and yeah. I don't want to be associated with that. You right. know, I feel the same way. Yes. Now, I know that um, you're a licensed clinical social worker and you're also a certified biofeedback practitioner. Right. Right. So how do you I know you work and live in the Albany, New York area and you help people, you know, improve their physical and emotional well-being. So for people that's listening with us on the air, do you work with um, clients uh, consulting online or um, can you work with clients outside the state of New York? Well, the um, the only thing that I do uh, by phone, and it's um, it's on the uh, pain treatment directory website, is that I can help people kind of sort out where to go next in terms of finding relief for their pain. I can go through their uh, medical history with them and the treatments they've tried, and and um, you know make some recommendations in terms of what kinds of treatments might be helpful for them. That's very important. That's still very valuable because yeah. um, having someone um, such as yourself with your background, you know, that is a, a, a valuable resource that you're able to provide that type of service. Yeah, I think that it's very valuable because, you know, if I had had someone who had done that with me right in the beginning, both of my back pain and my foot pain, I would have saved so many years of suffering. If someone could have said, well, you know, it sounds like it could be related to this and, you know, look for this kind of treatment, that would probably help. That would have, you know, that would have made all the difference in the world. And, in fact, you know, that's kind of what I stumbled upon, you know, when my friend recommended the book about the mind-body treatment. Um, You know, she was offering me a, a treatment that I didn't know about, and when the therapist who was supervising me said try rolfing you know they were basing it on their knowledge of the situation and saying this might be a good treatment for you and I could have saved a lot of time and suffering if I had someone early on who knew about all the treatments and could have said you know look into this and you know check this out I've often said the same thing but you know what Um, there is power in pain it leads you to your purpose, and based upon your experience, you know, you're able to help so many people because you understand chronic pain. You understand the issues that we face, that we deal with every day. And for some people out there on the other side of the fence who have never experienced it firsthand, you know, it's so quick, for, it's easy for them to say opioid should be the first line of defense when it's not. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, they actually don't work very well. No, they they don't. In fact, my chronic pain, um, not my chronic pain, my primary care physician, in fact, told me that he had went to a conference, and when he left the conference, he says, well, you know, Nisi, I learned that for fibromyalgia patients, opioids are should not really be prescribed because it's really not going to help. And I thought, I'm I'm glad that you learned that, but uh, even if you did prescribe them, <laughs> wouldn't be taking them anyway. <laughs> Well, you know, and the problem also is once doctors decide to stop prescribing, they don't know what else to do. No. And they don't have that many tools. But you know what? Even if they don't have that many tools, I would have far more respect for a physician 
if they just simply came out and say, you know what, I don't know what else to do. Now, my physician, he's shared with me, you know, in the beginning when things were really rough for me with the pain, he said to me, he says, you know, this is going to take a team approach. I don't have all the answers. You know, there's other healthcare practitioners that we need to bring into this to help tackle whether it's the depression, you know, uh, whether it's the stress, you know, whether it's the rheumatoid arthritis. He says it has to be a team approach. And, you know, Cindy, I have far more respect for him because he said it head on that I don't have all the answers. I knew he didn't have all the answers, but many physicians don't tell you they don't have all of the answers and they kind of string you along and you're not getting any better, you're getting worse. Right. And, you know, oftentimes what they'll do um, is they'll just keep trying different drugs. And yes. And some of the drugs that they try are just as dangerous in many ways as opioids. You know, they don't have the problem of addiction, but they have other problems. Yes, they do, you which know? leads and, to more uh, problems. <laughs> you know, some of the anti-inflammatory drugs, including the... Um, the over-the-counter ones um, increase your chances significantly of getting a heart attack or stroke. And when somebody has a heart attack or stroke, you know, it's not clear um, whether it's from the drugs they were taking or something else. But, you know, so it doesn't get blamed on the drugs. But many of those cases are, you know, related to the fact that people chronically take anti-inflammatory drugs. That's true, and that's something they don't really um, shed light on. And some of them have the black box warning. Yeah, people don't read black box warnings, including the doctors. Yes, that, that's true. You know, and for people who are not familiar with the black box warning, uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, a black box warning is the strongest warning that the um, that a pharmaceutical can have uh, before it's actually taken off the market because it's too dangerous to use. And, um, and it's an, it's a process where the FDA, um, determines that the drug is, is dangerous, has a certain side effect that's very risky, and orders the pharmaceutical companies to put that warning on their drug label. So if you get a package insert with your prescription, it will have that warning on it. If you look in the physician's desk reference, which is um, all of the drugs that are on the market and what their indications and side effects are, uh, you will see that black box warning right at the top. And doctors and patients are supposed to pay attention to that to say, am I having this symptom? Should I be concerned? Thank you. And that is so very important because sometimes doctors themselves don't even know or pay attention to that. That's why we have to be our own self-advocates and advocates for our family. Well, Cindy, I've really enjoyed you being on the air today, sharing with us about your book, Becoming Pain-Free, as well as your pain treatment uh, directory. Please let our audience know how they can uh, contact you, please. Okay, well, you can contact me through uh, the directory. Again, it's uh, paintreatmentdirectory.com, and um, there's, a, there's a contact form and, and an um, email address on the website. 
Thank you, Cindy. It's been a pleasure having you here, and I would love for you to come back another time where we can talk some more about the pain treatment directory. Okay, that would be great. Thank you so much for having me on today. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards, where we talk, listen, and learn, help conquer chronic pain. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.